Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to Healing from Harmony Hall. And it's almost time to say Happy Christmas. Hopefully we'll bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men. This time we're moving definitely forward with that intention because I am an ambassador for an organization called the Peace Intention. And I'm delighted to have on the show today Freya Lawton who's the founder of The Peace Intention and the writer of the book, The Peace Intention Handbook, which is a wonderfully simple and yet insightful guide to bringing us as individuals back to peace of heart and hopefully all of humanity to have their focus on a peaceful outcome for everybody. That's handbook is actually free to download from www.thepeaceintention.org. So join us on that site as well as maybe on Facebook. Befriend us, uh, me, I'm down as Frank Micklem, with C, and Freya Lawton, F-R-E-Y-A-L-A-W-T-O-N. First things first, though, we have to have some JP, and this song is called A Perfect World. Nothing lasts forever Why are we dreaming that it's gonna 
sun going down in the distance But I see a star in the evening sky If you're looking for help to sustain our existence Aren't you thinking that it's time you opened up your eyes? Here I am There you are Still so close Yet so far I'd like to thank God and world peace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a great vision, but it's it's the association between that naivety mm. and that dream, which I think is our major obstacle. Because ultimately, nothing is created in the world without it first becoming a, a very very clear intention. Yes. And the fact is, at the moment, I believe that peace, world peace, the idea that we could live as our default state in perfect peace, as we all desire, um, with war being considered an absolute, you know, uh, abomination and, 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 you know, just something that would never, ever happen again, that 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 possibility is so far away in our minds for lots and lots of reasons that we are, at this moment, never going to make it happen. And because and that really is the foundation of the peace intention. The first step of the peace intention is to start people thinking about peace. Because I think it's something which has just become completely invisible to us. Yes. I mean I actually interestingly I actually met with a um a woman who runs an anti war she's part of the Stop the War Coalition. We met for a for a you know, uh, for a coffee and to chat about the peace intention the other day. Brilliant. Uh, when she actually met me, she said, you know, I believe we have a, 
you know, a, a, a common interest because you know, you're interested in peace. And she actually lowered her voice when she said the word peace because it was as if she was embarrassed. Yes. The cafe around us to actually hear what we were talking about as if it's become, you know, an embarrassment to actually stand up as a human being and saying, actually, my life is focused on creating world peace. And you may find that amusing, but actually, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only worthwhile thing I can get up for in the morning, or it's the most worthwhile thing I can get up for in the morning. But I can do that only because I've actually looked at, um, you know, the, the, the beliefs that are standing between us and that dream. And that's really, really, the peace intention is my vision, my dream. And I believe that billions of other people share that dream. And the first step that we have to do in making that dream a reality is start to dig peace out of the waste bin yes. and start talking about it with courage of our convictions and with passion and start talking about it as if it truly is now a possibility rather than a naive dream. And I think yes. until we do get that first step um, you know, firmly established. Yeah, I, I was thinking the thing is to accept the possibility and to let go of the inevitability that you, the, uh, the powerlessness that people feel they can't do anything individually. I think, I think you know the most extraordinary things have been accomplished by humanity. We know that we have, we do have extraordinary ability to create that which we desire particularly yeah. if we work collectively and, in, and, and collaboratively and in, and in cooperation. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that we really, as you say about clarity of vision, we need to get our focus on what it is, what it might look like, so that we can get some enthusiasm and our full focus and energy on it. Is that right? Well, to be honest, I, I don't necessarily agree, because I think that's... To be, that, that's somewhat further down the line. I think yes. at this stage, we need to just ask ourselves the question, do we want to continue that peace, world peace, is an impossibility? Do we want to continue to believe that human beings are not capable of world peace, for whatever reasons mm. we may believe in now? Or do we, do we want to decide that regardless... We are going to make it happen. And I think until we begin to make that choice, and really the peace intention is there for people to make that choice and to show their intent, not just to themselves, but to each other and to their friends and to their family, and to start talking to strangers at bus stops and in cafes and yes. start saying to them, actually, I've decided that the peace is possible. And ah. I don't care what obstructions are in the way of that. I don't care what currently stands in the way of that. I will focus my intention on peace being possible. And if we do that en masse, we will begin to change the world. And how it will become a reality on the, in, the, in the wider scale is by us beginning to literally begin to create it in our own lives, begin to talk about it, begin to care about it, begin to give it our energy and our passion and our love, really, yeah. um, on
on a daily basis rather than doing what we're doing now, which is either ignoring it yeah. or believing it's impossible or fighting against war, which will not create peace. Isn't it funny how it's been sort of shamed into a kind of corner uh, uh, as a possibility? But do you, have you met many people who are thinking about it or are feeling confident I think about I, it? I, I think that everybody, everybody that I've spoken to about peace intention has embraced it completely. I mean, it's almost as if we can't believe that we haven't created it before. Brilliant. Um, and I think the extraordinary thing is, um, you know, interestingly, when I've, I've spoken to people that have thought very, very deeply, very politically, very philosophically about uh, war and the mechanism of war and the manufacture of consent for war, um, have never really asked themselves the question, do you want to create peace? It's almost as if the two are not connected in many people's minds. I mean, the, the people that have seemed to have given it the most thought have never really given it a feeling. And I know that seems a strange thing. Yeah. And actually somebody said to me the other day after I'd spoken to them, this was somebody very, very informed about the current situation, very, very informed about the way we are manipulated into our consent for war. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting idea, the manufacturing of consent. It's happening in every area of life. Yeah, but th before yeah. you know it, you've consented to something which you in no way would consent to if I actually directly asked. The interesting thing is that the, the process which is um, offered through the peace intention, um, which is the still flow process, which is not a new process, it may be newly packaged. It's an ancient understanding of how our own beliefs create our reality and how therefore, once we understand that, we can begin to change our reality. That whole process um, is about uncovering the subconscious beliefs which dictate most of our behavior beliefs we don't even need, know we've got, and most of those beliefs are manufactured by the mass media, they're manufactured by the culture we're born into, they're manufactured by ideas about humanity and what humanity isn't, isn't capable of. They're not, they're not beliefs we sit down and discuss, no. because they're beliefs we even know we have. And actually what happens when you begin to decide what it is that you want in your life whether that happens to be a new job or a new relationship or world peace, what starts to happen once you, once you literally give yourself the right and the time to focus on how you really want to live, what happens is all these subconscious beliefs that have been kind of guiding and uh, guiding you to not have that thing in the first place yeah. begin to surface. And when they begin to surface, you can begin to see why the world is the way it is. And it's not necessarily because we're being manipulated, it's because we have fears and anxieties which cause us to want to be kept safe. And I think that's a really fundamental um, question for those people engaged in the anti-war movement. There may be many, many very well-meaning, very impassioned people 
um, very politically aware, very philosophically um, competent, if, if you like, yes. who are dedicating their lives to trying to change, um, you know, the government's um, decisions about, you know, conflict worldwide. But they're still in a minority. At the end of the day, if the anti-war movement were able to truly begin to change our government in the UK, our government's policies on war, then actually they have to realize that they would be usurping democracy. Because the, the majority of people in this country still believe certain things about other what cultures, that other we need, yeah. about terrorism, about the threats which we've been um, Told. led to believe in. <laughs> yeah. And actually they are very scared. And they may not think about it on a daily basis, but if the government was to turn around and say, right, well, that's it, we're not actually going to in any way now interfere worldwide in any way to do anything to reduce the threat of terrorism to the UK, then actually the majority of people in this country would be appalled. They would be terrified and they would be banging on the streets of, of Parliament demanding that we remilitarize and, we, and that they are kept safe. And I think this is the point that we're missing, that what is causing our, what is manufacturing our consent is our own fear. And that fear doesn't go away just because we don't agree with the consequences of what is being done in our name. And, and the problem, that's, that's the difficulty that we face. And I think that part of the peace intention is asking people to take responsibility for that fear and to acknowledge how that fear makes us very easy to manipulate and how the media is playing on that fear in order to manufacture our consent for war. And, you know, that, that's one part of it. Um, oh, that's fantastic. We have to just pause for a split second there just to just to focus on that kind of conclusion that I think is would be very it, well, it, it's fascinating and it's it's something that people can definitely grasp is that our own fear is what makes us easy to manipulate and it's our own fear that is manufacturing the consent by default to absolutely it's it's only our own fear that's manufacturing the consent. If this ship is sinking, we should be somewhere else instead. What's the use in lying if it's so hard for you to say? There's no point in denying, but it seems we've lost our way. Well, I'm sorry that this journey has to
you were saying It's not as bad as it may seem We're hoping and we're praying We can return to where we've been What's the use ignoring The storm out on this sea Winds of change are blowing Dividing you and me I think it's time to turn I am scared, but I'm not going to use that fear 
as an excuse for the, you know, to to um, allow any government of mine to go out and commit atrocities in my name. My fear is is not that important. I can let it go. Well, that's, <laughs> that that is brilliant. I mean, I'm thinking about. Uh, I remember only, I suppose, 20 years ago, um, uh, my sister-in-law is from Poland, and for her, the Second World War was very, still very close. She still had living uncles that survived it and went through it. It felt already a generation away in England. And when we're in a you know, technically peaceful stage, we're not at war at a particular moment, we're given something else to be busy with. So we have a fear of... Uh, whether it's the fear of terrorism or fear of poverty, that, that actually even the talk about war and peace goes out of the window for, for a time. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the fundamental difficulties is that we have been led to believe or come to believe a picture of human nature which is massively skewed towards the negative. Yes, I wouldn't have founded the peace intention if I truly believed that that aspect of human nature were true. And I think yes. one of the things that kind of happened to me in coming to realise the uh, the barriers that are standing between us and world peace, and these barriers are purely in our minds. These pure, these are purely to do with our beliefs. Yes. But one of the most fundamental beliefs standing between us and and world peace is the, the skewed idea that human beings will inevitably um, create conflict. Not even create conflict, that war is inevitable yes. because of human nature. And I've had people say this to me, you know, on a number of occasions, well, we're always going to have war because it's human nature. And I wonder how many people have actually ever considered what that statement means because to me it's completely fundamentally false and and one of the things that I suppose I'm asking people to do is say what about building our future based on our own experience of human nature I've lived for 45 years mm -hmm. I've yet to walk down the street or go anywhere for that matter and see people battering each other with blocks of wood or holding guns to each other's heads <laughs> I know yes. it happens. I know it happens. But I also know that people do extraordinary things when they're scared and when they're out of control. But yes. those things tend to be momentary glitches based on chemical responses that are going on in the body. And I've never met anybody who hasn't regretted it in the morning. Yes. You know, it may happen when you're drunk or it may happen when you're angry or hurt or whatever. But it is not the default state of humanity to go out and systematically destroy each other. And yes. if it were, then people wouldn't need to be coerced to do it. Well, it's absolutely. I remember somebody in some terrible war zone uh, holding up a banner of their dictator and being shot down for it. And to me, it was obvious that he was holding up the banner. So that if he, if the people attacking happened to be on the right side, he wouldn't get killed. <laughs> yes, yeah. there, was, there was no defiance. The, 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 the idea of a defiance uh, in the face of everyone else being dead uh, around him was 
was just so remote that but it was interesting how people thought it was the inclination to fight you know fight on when it wasn't it was just everybody running scared pushing buttons pushing triggers uh, out of fear but I was wondering do you think that some some of the uh, idea about human nature is is a shying away from taking uh, taking responsibility that we can master uh, our own minds and we can get over our fears and we can make a difference in the world that people might still want to stay victims for some a some random reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think fear is that random reason or not random, but it, it certainly is that reason. Yes. But it's easier in a sense to blame somebody else for what's going on than to take responsibility for changing what's happening. And I think that there are a lot of people at the moment really seeing through media manipulation on a mass level, you know, many, many people using the internet and, yes. you know, specific events like 9-11 and, you know, looking at Building 7 and goodness knows what was going on, but, it, you know, it doesn't seem to fit with the um, official explanation. What was Building 7? beginning to... What was Building 7? Yeah. When the Twin Towers were were destroyed on the same day, there was a third building yeah. called Building 7. Part of the Twin Towers complex, but not the closest building to them, and it was damaged. There was fire in the building. Yes. And at some point on the same afternoon, the building collapsed. Yeah. It wasn't hit by a plane. There was, apparent, you know, there was no apparent reason for it to collapse. Yeah. But it seemed, if you watch watch it on film, that just as the Twin Towers, there were questions about how they came down. Building 7 appeared to be demolished by a controlled explosion. Yes. A a controlled demolition. And there were lots and lots of, you know, stories and, and, and factual reports of all sorts of reasons why the Twin Towers would have been destroyed deliberately and not by Al Qaeda. But anyway, you know, and, and the same for Building 7. But I think the point is what's happened since 9-11 is that we've, we've begun to realize that we will not find a truth in the media. We certainly won't find the truth in the mainstream media, and we possibly won't find the truth in the alternative media either. Yes. That what's happening is a kind of loss of innocence, a, a massive loss of innocence of, of, and, uh, and a fundamental need to change the way we've been behaving, which is, you know, for a long time, assuming that government is there in order to keep the people safe and that, you know, war is a fundamental part of the mechanism by which people are, the people are kept safe. And I think 9-11 has caused, you know, a fundamental shaking up of that, the permanence of that reality. I mean, I think at the back of our minds, we kind of always questioned it. Yeah. You know, ever since the assassination of JFK, there's been question marks and conspiracy theories. And the most important thing is that since 9-11, because of the, the internet, because of the use of digital media and the, mm-hmm. and the fact that people have been able to interpret that media for themselves, yeah. people are just basically saying, look, you know, it's obvious now yeah. that 
consent for war is being manufactured by the mass media, whether that's deliberate or whether that's simply a result of the people that literally create the mass media yeah. being just as fearful as the rest of us. Yeah. And all we've really got is a, a kind of uh, self-censorship that we're all just telling ourselves the same distorted story about our own human nature and the human nature of other people and over-exaggerating the threat. Pack my bag to our favorite song Turn the light out Leave the radio on Dawn is breaking on this sleepy town Another hour before this plane gets down Oh, gonna spread my wings Find me an island where the free birds sing Oh, gonna build my boat Cry me a river where my dreams can float From a cloudy day Into the sunrise From a cloudy day Your eyes of umber Like the autumn hue Say much deeper Than the ocean blue Don't be crying It's the way that I am no denying, I'm a restless man Oh, gonna spread my wings Find me an island where the free birds sing Oh, gonna build my boat Cry me a river where my dreams can flow From a cloudy day Into the sunrise From a cloudy day Into the sunrise From a cloudy day Pack my bag To our favorite song Turn the light out, leave the radio on. It's actually a fascinating piece of research um, yeah. that was recent, recently done um, by some researchers at Bath University. And they were looking into how the media causes us to uh, have a distorted view of the threat. Interesting, yeah. Of terrorism, for instance. And they did a long-term study where they literally just um, recorded every single column inch of newspaper uh, reporting since 9-11 in all of, the, all of Europe's newspapers. And what yeah. they recorded were only in, uh, articles that were about terrorism or terrorist threats. Yeah. 
And what they did is they looked at the number of column inches that were reported about different types or different, you know, terrorist groups. Yeah. And they found that since 9-11, it was something around 90%. And I, I, I can't quote the figures because it happened, but... Yeah, don't let that hold you back. I never did. Of, of, of the reporting, of the reported, you know, column inches written yeah. in Europe's newspapers since 9-11 have been to do with Muslim-based terrorism. That is, terrorism threats or actual activity yeah. of people who are of the Muslim faith. Now, when they then looked at the actual incidents of terrorism, yeah. they found some less than 1% of reported incidents were actually in any way related to people of the Muslim faith. Wow. So we're, we're being given a massively distorted picture, a massively, massively distorted picture. Now, you can look at that two ways. You can say, one, that's a deliberate conspiracy. Absolutely. To make us, you know, believe that all Muslims are... Who's our enemy? Therapists. 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 But Or you can look at it the other way yeah. and say that actually... Because those people that live in the mass media, that work in the mass media, also live within the field of the mass media themselves, that what you've got is just a massive self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. That we're all simply only allowing ourselves to focus on the story that we've already been told. And the, to and the telling of that story began with 9-11 and the fundamental message which came out immediately, which was that this was an Al-Qaeda, i.e. Muslim, terrorist attack. And that story has literally just been regurgitated ever since. And it's not necessarily that the media itself is deliberately misleading us, but that the media itself is itself misled. Yes. So it's just repeating what it already, its own fears and its own beliefs. And, you know, actually in the UK here, you know, the old terrorist threats much more prevalent than any Muslim attack. And what it tells me, actually, more importantly, what it tells me is despite the fact that since 9-11, Muslims throughout the world have been facing, you know, huge... Uh, prejudice. <laughs> prejudice, yeah, prejudice, attack, that there, you know, Muslim countries are, have been invaded by, you know, Western forces... Despite that, they, they, they are not re actually retaliating. The picture is completely distorted. Yes. So what it actually tells me is that this is an extraordinary faith, an extraordinarily peaceful faith. But, Interesting. you know, we can look at everything from two points of view, and I think the fundamental point that's going on is that we're beginning to see through the shroud, if you like, that's been, you know, placed over humanity. And, and I think the effect of that shroud has, begin, has been to make us not see ourselves clearly and not recognize ourselves clearly and not recognize our desires and our actual um, similarities between us. We've, not, we've lost sight of who we are as, as a human race. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely no courage going on in terms of, like, if even if you think back to the Greek mythology where everybody was, you know, prepared to do whatever it took to, to be true to 
themselves or whatever community they they stood for, but pure legend. So obviously it might be based on anything. But well, this is the interesting thing, and I think this is what really cuts through to the peace intention, is I could sit and tell you all day that I believe that human nature is fundamentally good, that we, that we are mostly driven to do good to others, yes. that that is our default position, not war, not conflict, not aggression, and actually not even competition. No. I think these are artificial um, beliefs that have been put on us for all sorts of reasons in order to create, you know, to manufacture consent for, for the business of war, to manufacture consent for the business of capitalism, and, and purchasing, turning us into purchases. And in order to do that, you need to get human beings to think about themselves and each other in a particular way. Yes. And I think we have come to see ourselves in a particular way. And I think that the whole distortion of human nature is really an insidious part of that, because actually you and I know that we don't get up in the morning and intend to harm other Or persons. use, which is the or other use. thing, yeah. yeah or step on, or yep. conquer, or, you know, in any way do harm to. And yes. actually what we also know is when we get the opportunity to do something good for another human being, it's actually one of the most exquisitely beautiful feelings we ever get the, the, to enjoy. Know, yeah. the luck to experience. The fact is we don't get the luck to experience that very often because of the distorted view of human nature that we've been so you know we, that we've kind of come to believe in because but, what, we, what we what we may do is get the opportunity to do something good for our family or our friends but then we have this other massive group of people who are strangers to us and yeah. i think one of the things that the peace intention is about is asking people to say i've decided that the barriers that are between me and what we now call strangers are artificial because it's that belief that other people are not quite like us that human nature the distorted view of human nature as a, a negative and potentially dangerous entity really only applies to other people we don't apply it to ourselves <laughs> Sometimes cheat 
Well, I love that thing of Einstein to say that we have to widen our circles of compassion to uh, all living things and all of nature in its beauty. Exactly, yeah. and that ultimately is the path to peace, to say, what, what is it that is stopping me from caring just as much about somebody I've met at a bus stop yes. from caring for my brother or my sister or my best friend? Yes. Well, what it is is spheres of safety. This is what it basically is, is what's happening, is we zone our lives into spheres of comfort, safety, and, uh, you know, uh, familiarity. Oh, so those people that we have had enough time to experience, we kind of think, well, we know them, we trust them, blah, blah, blah. But other people, well, what applies to them, because we don't know them, is this distorted view of human nature, which is these people are not like us. These people don't want to really live in peace. These people may be out to do us some harm. These people may be out to, you know, kind of um, do us down or step on us or whatever. And whether we want to believe that consciously or not, it's, it's literally written in our subconscious. I was going to ask, though, because when that occurred to me the other day, I was like, okay, how much of my motivation is still being run by a program of fear? And I got, you know, whatever percentage I got, 30%. I was like, oh, no, you know, back to the drawing board. But I knew what to do with it. I, you know, obviously, I, I, I'm interested in the energy clearing and I've developed an objectivity where I can see that's, that's not who I am and I've got a recognition of the eternal the interconnectedness of all life. But what are you suggesting to people who are, don't yet have a method for seeing what's happening and then addressing it and letting it go? What, what's your method or way of thinking about things you'd, you'd suggest to people new to this plan? Well, I think... It's interesting that you say that you, you know, you're kind of actually tuning in and saying, you know, how much of my, you know, my, my way of being in the world is, is still being um, influenced by these subconscious fears. Well, the first thing, that, the only thing that you can decide to do is set your course. So unless we set a course towards peace, we're not going there. We'll yeah. be going somewhere else. We'll probably be going... You know where we're already going. <laughs> the hell in a handbasket, as you used to say. <laughs> the hell in a handbasket and back, possibly. <laughs> but we first of all have to decide what it is that we want, because we don't change anything unless we're, you know, we're changing it in order to achieve what it is that we want. And yeah. as I said earlier, I think the most fundamental message of the peace intention is to get people to just ask themselves the question: Do I want? peace? Do I want to do something to make peace a reality? Now, until uh, if the answer to that question is yes, and I believe that there's very few people for whom the question, the answer to that is, is not yes, yeah. then once we've made that decision, we've set our course, we've said, okay, suddenly there is something out there, a point in time where world peace is our reality, and we are now moving towards it. That's the, the beginning of the journey. And once we've set that course, we can begin to decide that we are going to contribute to hastening that journey, to taking ourselves and others um, in that direction 
by changing our own our own our own way of being in the world. Yeah. And the way that we do that is to begin to notice the conflict that's happening in us on an indi- on a on a day by day basis. Yes. Because actually the conflict that is going on in us that is creating fear in us, that is causing us to respond, you know, in a, in a particular, in a way which is ultimately defensive and reactive, yeah. is part of the mechanism by which we are accepting war in our name, because it's all part of the same mechanism of the manipulation of fear, and we can absolutely take control of that and begin to say, okay, I'm going to notice when I when I'm reacting to other people, when I'm judging other people, when I'm um, getting angry and hanging on to it, when I'm believing that people are doing things to, you know, to upset me. Taking things personally. (laughs) Taking things personally, and these are, you know, actually things we can do something about. We can actually decide to get up in the morning and say, I'm just going to do that less today. You know, that thing I was hanging on to yesterday, that argument I had with Sansa, I'm just not going to carry it forward. I'm just going to let it go. So the opposite of hostile and, and, and or defensive would be mm. to be generous or to give the benefit of the doubt or just to take a moment and think well, differently? I think, I think there's, that's kind of, you know, the, the process of just noticing. In Buddhism, this would be called mindfulness. Yes. So within the still flow, there is a process which I... Um, use the word still flow for yes. in order really to get away from all of the connotations of you know, spirituality or any particular cultural connotations to Buddhism or whatever and on the Peace Intention website I've written a book which is actually called the Peace Intention Handbook Brilliant. and this process is very simply laid out step by step quick book to read and basically it has all of the elements of how you begin to change your way of being reactive in your life in order to begin to contribute to creating world peace. Because until Brilliant. we begin to do that, it, not only when we do that are we creating more peace in our own environment, you know, within our own relationships, within our own communities, we're creating a role model for other people to follow. We're then able to discuss how we're doing it, why we're doing it. And that then gives us a forum to talk about the bigger picture of world peace. And again, one of the most important things that we can begin to do is start talking about it with passion and start talking about it with pride even. Yes. That this is something that we actually want to happen and then to bring our personal behavior and our personal way of being in the world in alignment with that. Embrace the morning With a new conviction Just look around you There's colors everywhere Into the sunrise Out of the shadows
And this is a really difficult thing. I think this is something which really hits a lot of nerves because of where we're at now. That people, you know, find it really hard to get their heads around the idea that, you know, the men and women fighting in, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq now could be considered anything other than heroes. And I'm not suggesting that they should be because I think they're doing absolutely putting their lives on the line in order they believe to keep their families, their country safe. But I'm talking about a long-term, bigger picture. Do we want to continue to see that sacrifice as heroism? That's the question we need to ask. Yes. Do we want to continue to see the heroism equated with the willing to sacrifice, sacrifice one's life in order to keep other people safe, really, from their fear? which is really what we're asking, asking them to do. They've gone to war because we're scared. Yes. Whether what we're scared of is real or not really isn't the question. Because actually, I mean, I, I had a thought about it the other day. Us going to war in Iraq or Afghanistan in order to destroy a potential terrorist threat in our country... Yeah. is a little bit like me sitting in my sitting room with a submachine gun, shooting at anybody that comes near my window and shooting to kill, <laughs> just yeah. in case they might break in and burgle me and hurt me in the process. It's well, <laughs> I think you should avoid doing that. Well, I have avoided doing it until <laughs> now, which makes me qu question why... Are we allowing it to happen in our name around the world? Yes. What is it? There's a, there's a massive disconnect between, you know, normal human ways of dealing with conflict yes. and industrial ways of dealing with conflict on a, on a national level. And, and we have to ask ourselves again, why is that? Well, it's interesting because I was just watching a film uh, which actually had a feel-good factor, which is an achievement called Good Vibrations, and it was set in the Troubles in, in Northern Ireland, uh, maybe in the 70s, and there's a lot of good music around. But one thing that it made me remind me about Belfast was that another problem with the, re the reason people go to war is there's a lot of people with a lot of anger who uh, want somewhere to express it, maybe? Or what would you say about the, the anger aspect of uh, people and the frustration of people? I would say that, uh, that anger is often an expression of fear. And, and it's a kind of, almost a kind of muted version of, of fear, that we can't allow ourselves to express our fear, so we express anger instead. Or, that is so true, yeah. And I think that, again, I was ironically uh, reading um, <laughs> the, uh, the Art of War the other day. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> one of the fundamental premises of the Art of War, what is the enemy or who is the enemy in this? And I think we have to begin to see that the enemy is our own emotions and our own ability and willingness to become susceptible to those emotions rather than to deal with them.
taking responsibility for them and using the very powerful techniques that we've now developed as a species, whether it's in the realm of you know, energy psychology or healing or NLP or uh, emotional freedom technique or, I mean, we, we have no excuse anymore to be victims of negative emotions because we have the, um, the technology. We, we have the technology. I like it. Yeah, I mean, we don't need machines. We don't need anything other than the will to take responsibility for creating less harm in the world. And to be honest, that was the beginning of, you know, my journey to all of this was to just, you know, I just woke up one day and said, I have to do something to make sure, you know, I don't, that I can do less harm in the world. You know, and that really was the beginning of this journey. And I think ultimately the answer to that is to take responsibility for how we are and to stop expecting somebody else to fix it for us. Because yeah. there's no need for that anymore. We can fix this ourselves. And I think that there are billions of people on this planet right now who have never even considered the possibility that they could do anything at all to create world peace. No. And yet the fact is, the irony is, that they're the only people that can create world peace. Yeah. And that's exactly what the peace intention is about communicating. You are the future. You are the only method by which we are going to create world peace. And you will only do that by taking responsibility for how you are in the world. And you really matter. You're not insignificant on any level. You are part of an interconnected web of humanity that I believe fundamentally, at its core, wants to do good, wants to live in love, wants to live in peace, wants to communicate and collaborate and cooperate with fellow man, and for, for whatever reason, has just lost sight of that. Yeah. And as soon as we bring that back into sight and shine a light on it, we can change the world incredibly quickly. It is quick, isn't it? Um, it's, well, the fact is you and I both know how incredibly quickly this process works for you as an individual. And it doesn't matter whether you're trying to create world peace or you're just trying to live a happier, more harmonious life in yourself and achieve the things you want to achieve or you know, do Help the others. things you, yeah. you wanted to do but you haven't done. The process, which is you know, in the Peace Intention Handbook, is um, fundamentally about you freeing yourself to become the fullest, most expanded, most joyful, most liberated human being you can possibly become. And the, only, and the fact is it works incredibly quickly if you do it, if you change your way of thinking and you acknowledge the beliefs that are holding you back, and those are the same beliefs which are creating barriers between you and other people. Now, if you start to do that, if we all start to do that, then not only do we liberate ourselves in our own lives, but we liberate other people, and we begin to create this in incredible reaction that goes out across humanity, like a, you know, like a tidal wave across humanity that's just going to change everything.
Got the answer, love.